0: eric and i have an announcement to make yeah if you are a person who pays attention to details you may have noticed a little change to your feed
1: well we are now the oregon first hunting and fishing podcast
0: we're making this change because we're realizing that salem is a little bit too specific for the stuff we talk about we're still going to focus on western oregon willamette valley all that good stuff that we love to participate in but you know we're going to Open up the name of the show a little bit just uh to the Oregon First Hunting and Fishing Podcast. Our club, though, Salem First Hunting and Fishing Club, that's still going to stay the same. You know, we're just, we're based in Salem. Yep. That's where we operate, that's where our events will be. But the name of the show is Having an Upgrade. I like it.
1: Our mission is to connect with and actively engage Western Oregon airport.
0: Like I want to encourage people to have a positive life change from the outdoors. Yeah. It's not just killing something. One question we ask on this show is what's your true motivation behind your life in the outdoors? What's going on deep down inside of you when you're engaging with hunting and fishing? I believe that God gave us the ability to do this. That's one way to connect with God. This
2: is where the spiritual peace really
0: comes in. We are a part we have a profound impact on our resources. I don't know how to answer that rather than to say it's, it's just all about Jesus. Listen to this podcast, join our Facebook group at Salem First Hunting and Fishing Club, or participate in any of our club fishing trips, shooting events, or hunting trips. Welcome to the show. We are so glad that you tuned in and hope that you learned something valuable from today's episode. We're recording here in Salem, Oregon, in our studio. And I just have to add before we get going that they're redoing our roof right now. So if you hear some banging and popping and anything like that. It's no one's tapping the desk. It's just the roofers that we can't control. Or Eric said he heard some mariachi music
1: earlier. Sure. But, you know, I am to blame for that. So scheduling. It's my fault. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Our goal with this podcast is to provide content that is specifically geared toward the most overlooked segment of the outdoorsman community. And I believe that is the Pacific Northwest Hunters and Fishermen. Specifically, the far west, because a lot of times when people talk about the west, you know, they start talking about Idaho and Montana and all that. I'm like, well, we're way more west than those guys. <laughs> so it's the Roosevelt elk chasers. It's the pursuers of black-tailed deer. It's the Willamette River smallmouth catchers, buoy ten salmon anglers, and any of those who spend their fall and winter swimming around in the wettest woods in the lower 48. You like that? I, I love do?
2: the swimming around.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, cause it gets wet out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought that was a little poetic. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's
1: good. <laughs> be a part of our community here um you know you can join us for club fishing trips hunting events uh, we've got a lot of stuff coming up in the works this weekend we're having a rifle sighting for those of you who want to come out with a rifle and or bow bows welcome bows are very welcome that's one of the events we're going to have this month uh well
0: and the exciting part about that is we're going to be able to shoot all the way out to 500 yards which a lot of times you go to sight your rifle in at a range it's you know 200 maybe so that's why i like it's it's my old boss's farm and he lets us come shoot out there so that'll be fun i'm gonna put a gong out at 500 and we'll
1: see who can hit it we're gonna (laughs) see who the real men are that day yeah i've I've got my money on ryan i think yeah or see who has the best optics yeah it's gonna be yeah (laughs) hey
0: i gotta say man my 50-year-old 30-06 with a $400 loophole scope on it does pretty dang good. Still getting you know? the job and done. Still, yep. I like it. Yep. So that's going to be exciting. And then also add shop talk to your calendar. That's where a bunch of hunters and fishers from the area get together once a month, last Monday of the month, right? Or is yep. it the fourth Monday of the month? Fourth Monday. And uh, we just get together, have conversations about hunting and fishing, and eat a meal, free food, Yep. which is pretty And this cool. coming...
2: Monday or w- whenever the next one is, what is it? August 28th, 28th yeah. is a swap. So like you bring yeah. old hunting and fishing equipment you don't want and then you get to swap it with everybody.
1: So, right. Yeah. Swap
2: meet. I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to
1: park by Jay. Yeah, yeah, park yeah. By Jay. smart. And then yeah.
0: Eric, you've got your buddy from, from yep. where?
1: Discount tackle.
0: He's going to be bringing some stuff out. Yeah. I'm going to bring out my zombie turkey decoy that I talked about before that it, it honestly sucks. So I don't know if anyone's going <laughs> to want it. And then I'm going to bring out my Harbor Freight spotting scope that I haven't used for three years. So it's going to be some good quality
1: stuff. What about the outboard? The what? The outboard you're going to bring. Oh,
0: up? no. I I don't know, man. Come on. I hope someone else brings an outboard for me to buy. That would but, be sweet.
1: You know. I've
2: got a vintage four-by Weaver scope that I oh, intend yeah. on bringing. Oh, so. Okay. Wow. Let's see if anybody, any takers on that. Yeah, so. four-by. Four
0: yeah, I could
2: see people using that around here. Hey, if you got an old gun, they look cool and an yep. older gun, uh-huh. you know? Put so they're on 30. a 30 30 lever yep. action.
0: There you go. That seems like a good pair. Sweet. So add that stuff to your calendar. We hope to see some of you guys this weekend. I will be releasing this before Saturday. Yep. I'm going to work off, work, well, work off. I'm going to work my butt off getting this edited because yeah. it takes about Four to five hours per episode, (laughs) but that's only because Eric and I are so bad at talking. We have so many ums and horrible noises that I need to edit out of the podcast all the time. Eric's
1: throat clearing.
0: Yep, there's a lot of that. We'll get better, though. We'll get better. So in this episode, we are going to talk about Eric and I's week in the outdoors. Our news segment is about Devil's Lake and the wonderful largemouth fishery it has become, but it's fleeting. And uh, the voice you've been hearing... We are joined by the host of the Outdoor Adventures podcast, Sam Williams. Sam, welcome to the
2: show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've listened to your guys' first, what, five or six episodes already? We're, in five, we're up to, this up is to number six, six
0: technically, but one's a bonus, so that doesn't count. Yeah,
2: didn't count. But yeah, yeah I liked what I heard and wanted. I was uh, honored that you asked me to come on. Yeah, yeah, cool. Sweet. Thank you.
1: So I actually met Sam back at uh, Shop Talk, and I think it would be been the first one that i had been to so it must have been back in like april or may somewhere yeah, in the summer yeah and then we did cast for kids together that was super fun since then we've had more shop talks and we decided to have sam on the show today he's a mortgage broker here in the salem area like bryant said he has the outdoor adventures podcast and yeah we love having you so on. So if you're man.
0: looking at getting a mortgage, you got the Talk hook up. To Sam and Williams. he likes to hunt and fish, so he he'll be sympathetic to your needs.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate
2: it, guys. And uh, you know, uh, I want to get you out fishing the lake by my house. Oh yeah. yeah. So we've been talking oh, about yeah. it, but then mm-hmm. you know, getting married and having babies. Yep. yep. You know, priorities it's hard. <laughs> so. Right, right.
0: Sweet. Well, um. Oh, I just have a quick note. If you Google search Sam Williams. He is not the Dallas Cowboys NFL player that was arrested on Sunday for drug possession charges. <laughs> uh, so that's breaking news if you, want, if you didn't know about that. But that, this different Sam Williams.
1: <laughs> this is the clean Sam Williams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, if I get caught for
2: drug dealing, someone will have planted the drugs on me. <laughs> so, <yeah>. Sure. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. So we're going to do our five icebreaker questions before we get on with the show. So here we go.
2: Fishing or hunting? Hunting bow or rifle rifle
0: spinning or bait caster
2: boy i'm gonna get some hate for this but i still like a spinning reel okay. I, I use all both right. but you know you'll yeah. get there yeah
0: <laughs> deer elk deer deer all right and so in that black tailor mule deer Mule deer. Mule deer. Okay. And last question, salmon or bass?
2: I'm going to have to say bass Yeah. only because I do so much more bass fishing than salmon fishing. Uh Yeah. I love catching a salmon, but the bass fishing thing is a more year round activity. So
0: I feel that because also I catch way more bass than salmon. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm just a horrible salmon fisher. I've been trying to figure it out for a while, but I'll get there someday. Right. I'm the
1: opposite of that. I've caught more salmon than I probably have bass. Seriously? Oh, because you grew up in Alaska. So, so
2: Eric needs to take us salmon fishing. <laughs>
1: Sounds
0: like in, Alaska. No expert. in Alaska. In Alaska,
1: yeah, we can yeah. do it.
0: Sweet. Um, well, let's get on with our personal hunting and fishing story from your host. I'll go ahead and start. I've been shooting my bow every day. Once a day, I go out and I shoot at least a quiver. And it's cool watching my group get tighter and tighter because I'm a brand new wet behind the ears bow hunter. Yeah. This will be my first year carrying a bow. I've been going out with my buddy Jericho, who I don't know why we end up bringing him up so much on the podcast. But well, he's going to be on the podcast yeah, he'll at be some on point. It. He'll so. be on it. Uh, but anyway, uh, I've been calling with him and for him for the last few years. So he finally convinced me to buy a bow and get a tag. And so here we are. I've been practicing and practicing, getting ready. Uh, I'm pretty solid at 20 yards, so watch out, yeah. elk. Come in
2: 20 yards of me, please. <laughs> when you're swimming in those west coast, you yeah, know, yeah. coastal elk, you'll you'll probably have some shots at 20 and, yards.
0: Well, the, the archery elk season has been super dry the last mm-hmm. few years, and I'm looking – I mean, we're starting in, I don't know, a week, yeah. a week and a half. Week and it's and a half. the mm-hmm. beginning of September, so – We're probably going to have a dry season if I had to guess. I remember last year we got like one rainstorm in the last week of September. And then I went out uh, opening morning for Blacktail Rifle, which is October 1st. And I found a bull in full rut with a cow in full estrus and a herd, obviously. And he was just screaming his face off and she was screaming her face off. I I wonder if the dry, hot weather affects the elk rut or not, but we'll see. We'll see. Other thing, I went fishing couple times just a little bit here and there when uh when whenever my wife wants to go on a family walk or go to the park I bring my fishing pole <laughs> and so we went to Minto Brown here in Salem and casted and the weirdest thing happened I was just casting you know next to a weed bed and a bluegill jumped onto the top of a weed bed really and like a normal healthy looking bluegill hmm. and so I like took my shoes off and waded out and picked it up thinking it I don't know it just flopped on top and laid there it didn't even keep flopping weird and so then I like released it and it was fine but that was kind of
2: weird you know it's getting (laughs) chased by a big old bass probably I counted
0: it though that I landed it because you know I landed that one (laughs) (laughs) Eric how about you
1: well I've been fishing the last oh I don't know two weeks last time we talked I was so busy you know with getting married and everything I haven't been able to go out as much as I've wanted to but we got out to Detroit this last weekend. Wow. I was showing my wife when we pulled in. I was like, dude, that is where we used to put in. And she's like, no way, way down there. 40, 50 feet down where we used to, where we had to crawl down. And I'm going, I'm showing her the waterline level where it used to be. And she's like, "There, this is just crazy. Anyway, long story short, uh, it was a lot. it was pretty choppy that day. So yeah, we didn't, I fished a little finger for about 20 minutes, moved around it got skunked, you know, through the towel in for the day, but
0: yeah, Detroit can be hard to figure out. But then once you figure it out, you like catch a bunch of fish.
1: Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those fisheries too, where you kind of have to have a
0: boat. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It's like you can catch, I've caught trout or seen people, I guess <laughs> I've been with people who are catching trout off the dam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and that that's pretty cool because you're, I don't know, 50 feet off the water or more. If if you're smart enough to bring a basket and a rope, you know, you can get them up that way. Otherwise you're like slowly reeling it, hoping it doesn't flop off the (laughs) hook as you're getting it out of the water. But yeah.
2: They're catching kokanee in in Detroit, I think. It's been a pretty good kokanee year. Yeah.
0: yeah. We we don't have too many kokanee lakes, right?
2: We have Green Peter, Detroit, Lake Billy Chinook. Billy Chinook's a great one. Wiki Up, um, Mm -hmm. some of those east side, east of the Cascade
0: Lakes. Did you know I caught one in Hag Lake? Mm. Yep, it's rare. I looked, I looked online, and only a few people have ever posted or said anything that they caught one, and no one believes me.
1: He got so much hate for it. I've, really. so I've, I've blocked <laughs> like people. Like it was a drought. Oh, yeah, no, dude. Yeah. They were, they were like, you're a liar. blocked
0: people on Facebook because they just won't lay off. They're like, nope, nope, show them a picture. You didn't catch that, at Hag, Or they just say, that's not a kokanee. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Well, now I have a mission that... I'm going to fish it hard in the early spring and try to catch another kokanee. I'm going to record it. I'm going to take it to a wildlife biologist. I'm going to say, identify this fish. And I'm gonna prove. I'm going to tag all those jerks online in the video <laughs> and say, hey, check it out.
2: <laughs> well, like Odell Lake is another good cooking. Oh, yeah, lake. I haven't been there. Do you want me to answer my uh, what I've been up to this yeah, week? Yeah, let's hear Can it. Can I yeah. slide that in there? So I shot a coyote on my property. Oh, nice. And then I've done a little bit of bass fishing. My wife had a company party out at our place. And so Sweet. we took Sweet. some kids down to the lake and I caught a crappie. But then I set this Croppy, kid cool. this kid up with a drop shot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And sure enough, he hooks this 20-inch large mouth right? and uh, you know but I'd caught in that same fish believe it or not and, oh, yeah? and this fish is almost like a snakehead. he's got a really big head huh. really scrawny body so he's underfed and he hangs out around the dock hmm. and wow. he's hungry he's because yep. he's I had caught him like a week before yeah and he took it but it was pretty cool that kid didn't know what to do when he was holding he mm-hmm. wouldn't touch it I had to I really? posed with it <laughs> so they could get the picture yeah. right you know but but this coyote had taken three of my lambs this year uh, and so yeah two of them while we were on vacation. And so that's the worst. Yeah. I was letting the sheep out one morning. I looked to my right and I see this coyote and I thought it was a a deer. It was so big. Whoa. And I walked down to my house and got my gun, called my neighbor because it was on my neighbor's property. And I said, Hey, this coyote, I think the one that's been getting my sheep, he's on your place. Do you care if I take a good clean shot? And he goes, yeah, take him, you know? And so sweet snuck in on the Oak trees on him and put the crosshairs right on his chest because he was laying down flat and popped up. Oh, huh. And, uh, he took off running and I was like oh man I missed I was yeah. so deflated because I had this bloodlust for this thing you yeah, know I've yeah. been Revenge. killing my babies uh-huh. and uh <laughs> I drive around and found a bunch of blood so I know I hit him oh. but I but I never found him really so, and, but my neighbors got like super tall four six foot grass uh, with a bunch yeah, of poison oak yeah. in it and I'm like I'm not going in there because then he's going to insult me one more time if I yeah. get poison oak you know so, you, should,
0: you should let your sheep out in that field if you'll let you that yeah no good, kidding yeah yeah, yeah then they'll find the goat for you. Dang. That's, Somebody that's crazy. Yeah, I was happy to see blood Yeah, because initially I thought I clean missed the way he ran. Hey, you at least, you know, if he didn't die, you'll see a one-legged
2: co- or a three-legged coyote. And he'll think twice. Maybe it was a 220 yeah. swift. Yeah. so a pretty fast bullet, you know, mm. and uh, about a hundred yard shot. So
1: yeah, that's not too bad. 220 swift should, should knock him down. It should well. do the trick. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's
2: crazy house that some
0: coyotes are like super mangy and gross looking and then other ones are just like huge, you know, kind of beautiful looking. Uh, Did this one look pretty beat up or?
2: Oh, he's been eating a lot of organic lamb. So he is, (laughs) he he was a gorgeous guy. Organic, huh? Does he have dreadlocks and all that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Smokes weed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it was just one of those things where it was like hard, you know, but we'll probably get into this a little later, but like you see something beautiful in nature and coyotes can be beautiful too. Yeah. uh But when it's been, you know, they're predators and they're hammering, We have a small elk herd on the refuge and the calf recruitment has been terrible because the coyotes yeah. get it. So it's like, yep. I'm after seeing what these coyotes have done to my sheep, I will never not shoot a coyote when yep. I see one.
0: Well, hopefully that coyote is dead and doesn't bother you again. That but is definitely if a hope. If he is alive, hopefully you get revenge. Number two.
2: I did see another one this morning. I went to independence to take my daughter to her summer babysitting job. And on the way home, At the refuge, a coyote ran in front of me on the road. Yeah. And I mean, I stepped on the gas. I was trying to to get that guy, but he he made it, and he was on the refuge, so Uh it's like not much I can do.
0: When I worked on the farm, and you'd be out all night in the swather, and they'd they'd want to eat the mice that you chop up Mm -hmm. out of the rows behind you, i just have my 22, my Ruger 10 22 with open sights on it, and man... Put
1: a lot of coyotes down that way.
2: Oh yeah, I like it. Predator control, man. That's yep. what it's all about. We uh-huh. all got to be doing that. It's hunters for sure.
1: I think I told Bryant this story, but I, I haven't ever shared this with you. Uh, I ended up same thing working on this farm. You know, I was pretty much the the predator hunter of the farm. My buddy and I end up shooting this coyote. We put it in the back of the uh, of our you know little utility vehicle that we were driving bring it back to his house. His kids are all looking at it in the driveway and they, they, they run in and they're like, dad, 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 <laughs> that dog's moving. <laughs> and we're like, what? So he runs out there, he dumps a full mag and nine millimeter in it and it still was doing the, the death roll. So, yeah, I mean that was that was a good 23 minutes. Hopefully, he took it out up.
2: of the pickup before he unloaded the nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we had one of those tilt bed.
1: You okay. Know, John Deere yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, got you. Dumped Dumped it out and, yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our local news story. Today, we're going to talk about Devil's Lake. Um, just for some background, out we're talking about the one out in the coast, Lincoln City. Right. And Jay Yellis, when he was on the show a few episodes ago, talked about how. It used to be, back in the 80s, like a renowned largemouth lake.
1: I think he said it was money. Yeah. Direct quote. It was money.
0: So Devil's Lake used to be money for bass fishing because it was full of weeds. Mm -hmm. And he said there were so many weeds that, like, skiers would get stuck in them, you know, which uh, I guess it does sound kind of dangerous, but, you know. Maybe we should all just be fishing instead of skiing and the water wouldn't be so choppy. But anyway, he was talking about how he was there recently and he saw like some little schools of bass that he thought maybe in a couple of years, it'll be good again. Well, I've been seeing a lot of bass posted from Devil's Lake this summer. Yeah. And there's some slab largemouth being pulled out because the weeds are back. And there's old guys talking about how it's as good as it used to be back in the eighties. Yeah. And, uh, It used to be such a known bass lake that even 10-mile bass club would have tournament there. Now, here's the reason why it's news. You better get in there while you can because the Devil's Lake, it's like the Neighborhood Association. It's the Devil's Lake Water Improvement District. To take care of the weeds, decided to dump 5,000 carp back into the lake so back in the 80s they did the same thing skiers were getting stuck in the weeds so they dumped i don't know how many carp and it really took the weeds down that's why as long as most of us have known devil's lake there's no weeds in it to speak of and there's tons of carp i guess a lot of the carp have died off because they only live so long and so they just restocked it 5,000 carp the sterile Grass carp—they live for about ten to twenty
2: years. Are are so. they black? Are those what they used they're to kinda, put in there? Are they a real dark color? They're pretty dark. Okay. They're they're not like a they're not bronze, a traditional bronze, bronze carp. Would, yeah, okay. they're
0: like a dark gray color, but they still have like the big scales. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, that all that to say, you better get out there while you can, yeah because the those weeds aren't going to last too long with five thousand. Hungry carp in there. Yeah, that's
1: that's a lot for such a small place. You know, five thousand.
0: All I know is that when they dump five thousand trout in there, everyone goes home with limits in thirty minutes. So if yeah. that says anything about the amount of fish, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I remember
2: catching maybe some perch. Uh huh. Um, and we saw some catfish in there too. Yeah. So catfish. Wow. Yeah, and they were almost maybe like a bullhead type, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. I remember them being real dark colored too. Yep, yeah, probably seeing that. probably bullhead. Yeah.
0: This is where I will give them a little bit of credit for trying to get rid of the weeds. It's not like it's native weeds. It's an invasive weed called Elodia, which is pretty common here in Oregon to take over a whole body of water. They're trying to get rid of those. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem, though. They're not going to replace them with a native weed. And that reminded me, like, very recently, they just finished this summer, uh, City of Salem working with Willamette Water Keepers. As an organization they actually nuked a whole slough. herbicide the willamette slough for the last five years so since 2019 they've been herbicide 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 just nuking the slough, getting everything out but then this year they replanted it with natives okay fine get rid of the weeds but don't just leave it a barren lake that fish don't even want to live in because you know so that that's that's where my beef with it is
2: yeah for sure have you seen waverly lake in albany what they just did no so that lake was way bad with the noxious weeds and they just hired a company that brings these harvesting tractors to the lake and they go in there they, they pull all the junk out of it and i mean that lake looks the best it's looked in a decade yeah and i'll be curious to see they're going to put some aerators on the lake, and they're going to put a fountain oh, nice. in there to help control. You know, get a little awesome. better. They're putting some flow. money into it, yeah. So, well, they. I mean, it's right when you come into the town of Albany, so it's yep. just kind of an eyesore. And they're going to try to make it something more of mm-hmm. that Albany can be proud of instead of embarrassed by. You know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've taken my son Ezra there a couple times, and that's actually where he caught his first fish. Starting him early, I like it. Yep. Yep.
1: yep. So our. As we said at the top of the show, you know, our special guest today is uh, Sam Williams. Sam obviously has the Outdoor Adventures podcast. I just kind of, I had a few questions for you. I know Bryant did. Um, One of the things we like to ask people when when they come in is to share their, maybe their most memorable hunting or fishing moment or experience that they've had. Maybe it's just an outdoor experience, you know?
2: I will say that I... For me, I grew up mule deer hunting. That was what my dad always did. So he would always get ready for the hunt. He'd go with his brothers. Uh, We would stay home as kids. So we were all chomping at the bit to hunt. So I don't know, about the age, maybe 11 or 12, I started getting to go on the hunt with my younger brother, Seth. And he was three or four years younger than me, so he's eight or nine. And we'd go on the hunt with Dad. And I remember the first year we went, Dad shot a spike. And uh, he wouldn't have probably shot that deer other than we were there. And he wanted to, you know to have us experience that with him and yeah. so it was just I just remember being so cold on those early hunts and we didn't have much gear or anything and so by the time it was time for me to go harvest a deer I was so excited we had drawn tags the unit we'd grown up hunting in I I bought my first rifle with paper route money it was a 270 Winchester that nice. uh, was my first
1: rifle that's yeah. a good deer gun
2: yeah it was it was and I never missed the first few deer I shot with it but Me and my dad were up this spot that we always hunt and uh, these twin four points come popping out and it was like 11 o'clock and, you know, kind of not the time we expect to, we probably bumped them in their beds or something. I don't know what happened, but I froze. I watched the deer through my scope as it was fading away and my dad was waiting for me to shoot. I was waiting (laughs) for him to shoot because the family rule is first guy to see, first guy to shoot. Okay, you know, and that's but my dad was saying, okay, it's your first year carrying a gun. You're yeah. gonna shoot, yeah. you know, and so in his mind. I'm shooting in my mind. He's shooting. Yep. <laughs> I watch these things, till there really wasn't a shot. And then my dad fires two fleeting shots and doesn't uh, hit anything. He still brings it up how I messed up his yeah. whole thing on that. <laughs> and so then the next year, I was so excited to get after it because I'd missed my opportunity. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I'm pulling the trigger no matter what. You know, I'm uh-huh. gonna pull that gun up and shoot. And so we we're hunting a unit that we'd never hunted before. It's the north side unit on the east side. And we had my cousin Stefan with us, my brother, and my dad. And Stefan and my dad were up ahead of me and my brother i just heard
1: thump thump thump
2: and i turned to my left and there's this big three-point running with a doe and i brought my scope up on the antlers he was running away from me and just put it down on his head and dropped him wow and the you know i watched his head go back and yeah uh, then i yell over to my dad i think i got one <laughs> And he's like did it have antlers on it and, you know and i'm I don't know maybe a 14 15 year old kid and i'm like i think so oh. and he's like you <laughs> think so, so. Yeah. Yeah. but you know you're in that moment <laughs> and the adrenaline's pumping yeah, and you're yeah, like yeah. i don't yeah. want to what is this 20 questions i you're don't like, wanna want to answer <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so then we get down there and it was the, still the biggest buck i've ever taken was really? that first buck yeah oh, wow. Cool. And, wow and he was a non-typical three-point so he had the fork coming out the front on one side with a big blade on the top, huh. and then the blade in the front and the fork on the back on the other side.
0: Weird. Wow. So yeah, and I,
2: I have him in my office, so when cool. you guys come yeah. do yeah. my podcast with me, you'll have so to he, check him did out. Do you do
0: like a full mount or a Euro mount or what?
2: Uh, he, It's like a, you know, shoulder mount, yeah, uh, yeah. like to the armpits kind of thing, and he's doing like a half sneak pose, you know? Sweet. So yeah, and I've never mounted Dang. a deer it, since then. And that's yeah. mule but, deer, right? Yeah. Yeah, because north side. Okay. So that was like, you know, the memory that always will stay with me, that first buck that you get on yeah. the ground.
0: Yeah, man. Oh, I, I feel you there, man. That's what unit was feeling.
1: that?
2: The north side unit. Okay. Yeah, so it's, um I've never hunted that unit since. That's yeah. what's funny about it. And, uh-huh. you know, we get to the bottom of the hill that we drug this thing down, and these guys had been hunting that morning, and they watched it all go down. They're like, did you know we were down here? And we're like, no, but you're... You're Put like 2,500 <laughs> yards away from us, so we weren't going to shoot you, but right. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but we kind of shot the buck they were targeting, I think. Oh, so. yeah. And I was just well, some young kid that was just happy to have a deer on the ground. Yeah, hey, I mean, first, first deer, buck. man.
0: If, if someone shot a buck out from under me, and it was their first buck, I don't know. I don't know, if if it was like a giant, I might not be too happy, but you know.
2: <laughs> oh, it's happened to me now the other yeah. way around,
0: yeah. so you know, oh, it's yeah, part yeah. of the game, you know. I, I it's It's a philosophy of mine and you've kind of, you kind of broke this, but I think everyone's first buck should be a small buck because, mm-hmm. and obviously this didn't happen with you, but there's so many people I know that grew up like on private property where they have the pick of the litter. They just walk out the back door and shoot a giant buck in their backyard. They don't have the same like fire for hunting as someone who had to fight for it. And their first buck was tiny. Then they didn't get one for two years after that. You know, yeah, it's uh, what you your first tag you didn't fill. So maybe that's why you still have that. Girth. Oh man.
2: And I want a big one this year because I have shot a lot of forking horns. Yeah. And it's, I'm holding out for yeah. my, for my mule deer. <laughs> Cause I got the Willamette tag and a mule deer tag. Oh yeah. So yeah. the mule deer tag, I'm not going to fill with a small buck.
1: See, I'm just used to shooting small deer. Cause I grew up in Alaska. They're about the size of a German shepherd. Yeah, not the much sit, bigger. The I mean, yes, yeah, they're yeah. so tiny and that's why you get multiple per year. But yeah, coming down here, I was like, oh my gosh, the first. First buck i saw i was like that's gonna be some oh, hybrid yeah. series you know bench leg yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah bench leg and my cousin's like no you idiot we just have bigger deer down yeah here. we just grow the blacktail <laughs> a little bigger in these yep.
0: next to the woods we're, we're gonna make a bumper sticker that says made for bench legs nice. and it has it's gonna be a dude with one leg who's shorter than the other and he's like sidehilling on a mountain you know it'll have our podcast logos oh it's right.
1: restricted copyright yeah. 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 Don't Copyright.
0: Steal that. <laughs> if, here's the, here's the recorded evidence that we came up with that idea, right. Sam. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will not steal it from you. Yeah, yeah. no, that's cool. I, I, I want to clarify something. And because we're in Oregon, there's a certain way that we talk about the amount of points a deer has. And when you first brought up those two bucks that you saw, you said four points. So I got to know, were they four points or were they four keys? No, they were four points. They
2: were so four by fours? Four by four. Twi- wow. Twins. Dang. Identical racks.
0: That makes that story yeah. even more yeah. just. Yeah, four points. Wow. And they
2: weren't giant, older four points. You know, they were probably two and a half, three and a half year old deer, but they were nice uh-huh. deer, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Definitely still can dream about those guys running away in my scope. Ooh. Never fired a bullet. <laughs> no. So it was Man. like a nature video for <laughs> me. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Documentary. Yeah. Because yeah, when I talked to my Michigan friends, they're like, I shot a 32 point, you know. Yeah
0: come on, dude. What?
2: I sent an article <laughs> one time or like a letter to the editor to Outdoor Life about that topic. I oh, said, "Okay, <laughs> people call it a three-pointer or, you know, if you're on the east, they count the eye guards. And they're counting every little thing." Oh, yeah, we don't thing. count the eye guards Yeah, they're yeah. counting every little part of it and he's like, "Well, you know, that just is a geographical, you know, difference." So, <laughs> I
0: got into a debate with someone about eye guard versus brow tine because mm. at least anyone I talk to, it seems like we say eye guard for a deer and we say brow tine for an elk. People got upset at me for saying that before. For but, saying
2: brow tine or eye guard? For, Which saying, one?
0: for saying, well, because someone called a deer eye guard a brow tine and I thought it was interesting. But w- when you do go to like the scoring sheet, it does call it a brow tine. So it's like they weren't completely off base. Hmm. It's just, I feel like around here, anyone I talk to, it's like, it's an eye guard on a deer and a brow tine on an elk. It's just the way we talk.
2: And I'm mostly a deer hunter. So it was when I sat down in your office and you have this really cool elk shed, I'm like, oh yeah, the eye guard on that's funny looking. Yeah, so yeah. I probably grossly offended you right out of the gate. You, know you know what? I you didn't a brow
0: kick tine. you out. I yeah. thought about it. Yeah. Um, I definitely I, might not release this episode. Yeah.
2: I apologize for the vernacular. <laughs> you didn't tell us
1: you were like, you know, fly fisherman or something that yeah. would have definitely Ugh, been over yeah. right at that point. So. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I tried it. I'm not good at <laughs> fly fishing.
0: Yeah. Hey, we, we've we all been fly curious at one yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fly curious. <laughs> uh, that could be
2: another bumper sticker. Yeah. I don't know if you want to wear it, but. <laughs> well, we could put it on somebody's I, I have view. a lot of respect for fly fishermen, but I'm not one of them.
1: Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things that it, it seems like you got to be retired in order to do it because. Except when we
0: had our bass fishing trip and the kid with the fly rod killed everyone and caught way more bass than I anyone I was so else. mad.
1: I was like, you caught that on a what? <laughs> a woolly booger. Yeah. <laughs> the good old what woolly. What a woolly booger? <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Sam, another question I had for you is, you know, what kind of led you into the world of podcasting? How'd you get to, you know, where you're at with Outdoor Adventures podcast? Yeah,
2: that's a good story in that I was traveling with the kids and we were going somewhere on an airplane. So I always download podcasts on airplane rides, you know, and so I downloaded some of the popular ones that are out there like uh, Ranella and his podcast, you know, the meat eater podcast. And I was listening to it and they were, they had a whitetail guest on there and I just wanted to listen to the whitetail guest. That was my main thing. And it took them an hour and a half talking about turkey hunting and talking about this Mm. and talking about... And not to knock on those guys because obviously they're doing cool stuff. and They're doing something right. Yeah, (laughs) they definitely got something going on. But for me, I was just like, man, I feel like I could do this not necessarily better, but different. Sure. You know, and I just... I I, kind of, in that moment, my family was all sleeping. It was like a red-eye flight. I had this little scrap of paper, which I've still got, where I drew out a a crude logo. I started making down some guest names and things. Yeah, yeah. And then... You know, my wife was like, you won't make it past 10 episodes. You're not going to keep uh, doing it. So that also is a motivator. <laughs> Whenever she tells me I'm not going to do something, then I'm like, okay, well, I got to at least prove her wrong. So we're 22 episodes in. Wow. We're having fun. Sweet. It's That's the main goal. And it, the, the best ones for me, I had my dad and my uncles on there yeah. and got them talking, and I'm getting yeah, their voice cool. recorded. I just did one with my dad on his moose hunt in Canada from the 80s. Cool. And I didn't know anything about that hunt, didn't know any of the history. And it's just, that's been really fun for me. Yeah. And like obviously having a guest like Jay on there that's done so much stuff in the professional bass fishing world. I mean, it, he's just a cool guy to interview. And, uh-huh. and so I'm just enjoying it. My last couple I had on there, we talked about their New Zealand hunting trip. And that was just, yeah, I, I love, that. yeah. I love hunting yeah. and I love telling hunting stories. And so for me, it's like, I just love to talk about hunting and fishing and anything. I have a fisheries and wildlife degree that's, you know, from Oregon State. So that, you know, that kind of, I just love anything in the space. Mm -hmm. And so it forces me, even if I'm not out there doing the stuff I want to do every day, I get to tell stories and talk about it and reminisce. And what I've liked about it is when we first rolled it out, I sent it to a lot of my friends that were non-hunters. And they're finally starting to understand why I do what I do. Because they, you know, they think we're all out there for the kill or for, and that's, yep. That's the least fun part, in my opinion. It's, you know, it's a harvest and we respect the animal. And so they're starting to understand me a little bit more. And I've gotten feedback from other people like, man, I used to fish with my dad and I haven't done it in so long. And Mm -hmm. your podcast made me want to go fishing again. So like if (laughs) that gets people excited, you know, that's been... And we have episodes that are good and we have episodes that aren't as good, you know, and we're still learning and there's still audio challenges and things like that, but it's... Yeah, but it's... We're having fun doing it still, yeah. so we're going to keep doing
1: it while we're having fun and see Very where it cool. goes. Cool. Sweet. So as an advid avid. Man, I can't speak. It's a hard to word, here. yeah. It is. Like avid outdoors. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna try to help you, but I was gonna <laughs> say it the same way as you. So, um, you know, you, you just mentioned Rhinella, and you know, he's been down here hunting, I think, the last week or so. I don't know what he got into. I but saw
2: he posted a mountain goat that was out in a field and was yeah. like, this Oregon goat's in the wrong really? place, yeah. yeah.
1: It was in a wheat field, yeah, probably three or four foot tall wheat field and there's a white mountain goat standing in the back yeah background. that was bizarre I what he's doing out here hope he hunt. doesn't
0: make our over-the-counter black tags too popular because it's a pretty <laughs> sweet setup at the moment
1: <laughs> i was kind of thinking the same thing i wonder if he's going to come down and hunt whitetail, or if he's got a specific hunt in mind i don't know but anyway i think oftentimes even as, as podcasters you know brian and i don't know it all so we we go and look for information from other people so that we can learn and get better at what we're doing in the outdoor space, whether it's hunting, fishing, shooting a bow, whatever survival. But we, you know, there, I have a few people I look to and, and kind of, you know, John Barklow, we had him on last, uh, last episode. He was one of those guys. I'm like, I listened to to him specifically when it's like, okay, if I want to, if I'm going to go outside, I'm going to freeze to death. I'm going to be in crappy weather, you know, whatever. I listen to Barclow. If we're going to sit on my John boat in 35 degrees in rain and
0: shiver to death. Yep. Yeah.
1: So, you know, that's just one of the guys, who are some of the people that you listen to or, you know, look to for advice, you know, uh, within the outdoor space, whether it's making yourself more successful in hunting or archery or fishing, whatever.
2: Yeah. And mine is more probably local. So, I mean, I do watch, I used to watch meat eater when it was on Netflix and it was really accessible. I think now all of his shows are on through his website. So yeah. I haven't watched any of them since he kind of went away from Netflix. Yeah, me neither. I um, mean, I used to watch like the outdoor channel, just the um, Jim Shockey. Yeah. You know, I was always a big Jim Shockey fan. And then I always had outdoor life magazine. Yep. So like my in-laws, whenever my wife would tell him what to get, well, renew his outdoor life for him, you know? So, you know, <laughs> sweet. think about the places you typically read a magazine, but I'm often reading stories and I've picked up gear tips and just shooting tips and where you get different things. And, you know, some of it's great and some of it's not, and you go that way, but more it's on the fishing front. Brent Norlander, who you yep. guys know from Shop Talk, he was kind of, I started salmon fishing with a guy from church and he was kind of a mentor to me in the fishing world. Caught my first steelhead with him on the South Saniam, and he caught me because my dad was always a trout fisherman. Mm -hmm. And so this guy kind of got me into the big game fishing. Yeah. And unfortunately that fishery is not what it used to be. We used to have about 5,000 fish a year in the summers and now it's about 300 this year, I think we got. Yeah. And so it's pretty abysmal compared to what it used to be. But, you know, salmon and steelhead, once you catch those, it's kind of hard to go back to trout, you know. Uh, But now... Like we said earlier, I've kind of gravitated to the bass thing, and it's just a convenience. I've got the lake close to my house. So I can go fish for the evening or the morning. Uh-huh. And That's pretty sweet. Yeah, and I didn't know how to bass fish at all when I first moved out there. And my buddy, Kyler, was a bass fisherman, and so he kind of showed me some basic stuff. And so it's kind of more just people I know. And then the hunting space, and I think that's why it's near and dear, is more like a family tradition. You yeah. know, so mm-hmm. my uncles and my dad and my cousins, and we've all learned from each other over the years. And I'm not super awesome about optics and shooting and figuring out how to dial all that in perfectly. So I have people I go to for that. I'm like, Hey guys, help me get this dialed in so that I know I can take an ethical shot or, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's been more of that. I mean, the kind of the TV, I grew up with fishing the West, which I don't know if you know (laughs) that one, do you know that one? That might be before you guys this time, but his name was Larry and he had a it was like on NBC like back in the rabbit ear days, and you would turn on Fishing the West, and Larry'd be there catching a salmon, and he was all huh. on West Coast fishing stuff. Really? And then we yeah we have oh. that outdoor GPS guy too, and I've watched his show a few times on like local cable cable TV. So, you know. Wow, huh? I wasn't aware of those. Yeah. yeah, so Fishing the West, you have to look it up. It was Fishing the West. It okay. was Larry Nixon. Is could that, be, yeah. Could be. Right? I just know I Larry. Know. Yeah. But I mean, he's catching salmon, he's catching kokanee, he's catching all kinds of stuff. So. Oh, that's cool. So have you ever eaten a bass? I have. Uh, <laughs> I've eaten some smallmouth bass out of the Columbia River. Oh. So we went, oh. we went walleye fishing in the Columbia, got into some big smallies, filleted them out. They're not that tasty, I will say, in my opinion. Mm. I would much rather eat a walleye than a bass. I, I've heard the I've best heard way is a sandwich. Bad. That's what I've heard. Really bass, yeah.
1: I had a lake trout last night, and I swear, man, it tasted like bass. It was disgusting. It was the worst. Where'd you get it from? I don't know. You'll have to ask my wife. It definitely was not. Oh, like you bought it? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. My (laughs) wife
0: bought it. Oh, Mm. I thought you were gonna say like you caught caught one, got it.
1: No, I was going. I you were eating it, it and I'm like, is this a farmed fish, honey? And she's Mm. like, I don't know. And I was like, oh, this tastes terrible. Depends on
0: the time of year. Some stalkers like the meat's pretty good. I've had some or a few that were honestly great, but then sometimes you get one that's mushy and white, you know. Yes. Me, and it's kind of, you never know until you cut into it what you're going to get.
2: I want that carryover fish that's eaten some good feed and fattened up and got yep. a redder meat to it if I'm going to eat a trout. Yep. Um I'm a big Sam. I like the taste of salmon, probably, and sturgeon, walleye, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Obviously, halibut. I mean, everybody likes halibut. I
0: haven't had walleye yet. Sturgeon's pretty good though. So surprisingly, people have been catching a lot of walleyes in the Willamette, even all the way up to Eugene Mm. and like good sized ones. It's kind of weird. The fishery's changing because that wasn't a common thing that long ago, but people are catching a
2: lot. Well, these warm water species that we're starting to get all over the place in the state, yep. they're dangerous for like the yeah. salmonid species, you know, because like you get, you know, the, the pike minnow tournament on the Columbia. Every, you can catch yep. the, the northern pike minnow and they, they pay a bounty for a certain... They change yep. the slot. Yep. And I think the guy that runs that bounty program gets about a million dollar budget every year and they blame them for the salmon decline. Yeah. The reality is probably the bass and the walleye are doing more damage. Well, yeah. the pike minnows are native. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's the thing that was always surprising to me that it's like, oh yeah, let's get rid of this invasive fish. But then you realize, oh, it's native. Interesting. I mean, still great. Get them out of there, help the salmon, but you know.
2: Yeah. And they're kind of an unattractive fish and they're not really a sportsman's fish. And that's I don't think why. we'll be
0: able to make them go
2: extinct. I mean, they're, no. they're prolific. They are. But also it's like the sin- salmon problem is there's so many facets to yeah, it. Yeah. Attacking one thing might help, but it's probably not gonna be the, the game changer. Well, yeah. kind of the popular thing right now
0: to be upset about is the sea lions, which uh, I can't name exactly what city, but they went further upstream than they ever have before this year, eating salmon. Hmm. So it to me that's like devastating. We can't we can't do anything about them because of the Marine Mammal Protection Act, and they just eat eat eat. Um, you know that's kind of a popular one to be upset about right now. Yeah, hmm. for sure, I agree.
1: Well, you kind of alluded to uh, one of the reasons what what keeps you motivated uh, in in the podcasting world, and that was that your wife told you you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, besides trying to spite your wife, what what kind of keeps you motivated to continue this podcast? Yeah,
2: I mean, honestly, the fun. We would uh, the dream. Yeah, is if you could take the podcast to a place where it provided some sort of income in which you could replace some of your day job income or provides you the opportunity to get out in the woods on, let's say a sponsored trip by somebody or some, like I had a, I have a guest I'm working on when he comes back through Oregon, but this guy makes these really cool packing um, backpacks for lightweight. and It's got everything you need kind of thing. And um, he's, he's in Utah but uh next time he comes through we're gonna try to get him on the show and he's just think his product's really cool and i want to demo his product would be the dream is like that he would be willing to let us demo it try it out and talk about it and my cousin actually started something called west slope outdoors in high school and it was he kind of had that dream of getting you know loophole to sponsor some hunts or send some gear his way (laughs) it never really happened and so this maybe is a bit of an extension of that, but that's the the reality is it's just fun yeah. and getting people on something that will last forever. As far as I know, once your podcast is out there, I don't really know how easy it would be to get rid of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, you could stop paying your hosting provider. Maybe yeah. that would, but who knows? <laughs> but we. But the guy that edits ours for us, he keeps everything on a flash drive. So mm-hmm. he, once he yeah. edits it, so he's got like a, Terabond sized flash yeah. drive so it's like yeah you'll never lose that yeah file. i'm not going to lose that audio and there's some family stories i've got a cousin that's um in kansas not in kansas north carolina mm-hmm. and he listens to it and reminds him of our childhood and things oh, like oh, that really? and nice. then you know um just my dad and his brothers like i say i mean they're in their 60s and 70s now so yep. you know God willing, they'll be around a lot longer, but you never know. And we're yeah. gonna go interview yeah. my wife's grandmother. So I'm gonna pack up the podcast; I can fit it all in one of those Costco black and yellow totes. Sweet. And we're gonna go to her nursing home. She's 95 years old. Cool. Wow. And she grew up hunting and fishing, and so we're gonna talk a little outdoors. But really, the main thing is just to talk to her. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I don't even really care what she says. I just want to get her on, you <laughs> know, funny. recording. So so That's you're awesome, talking man. like
0: 80, 85 years ago.
2: Hunting and fishing, and she's from Oregon. I, she is. I don't know if she spent her whole life in Oregon. Her mother was actually a First Assembly preacher, oh, okay. which is just kind of a wild. And she, and her second husband was a real avid outdoorsman. I mean, he just loved hunting and fishing. Yeah. So he drug her along on hunting trips and fishing trips. But then she <laughs> got into it too, and so, yeah. and I think. She lives in southern Oregon now in the Medford area. Okay. And so I think she's done a fair amount of salmon fishing and stuff. They got a pretty good fishery in the Rogue River and yeah, stuff. And yeah. so Yeah, wow. I'm excited just to hear what she has to say. It was my wife's idea and I'm like, you know, that'd be really fun. Yeah. yeah. Get a glimpse into times gone. Yeah,
0: Grammy yeah. G is. Grammy, Grammy G. G. <laughs> That's awesome. So well, cool. One of our goals with this podcast is that Anyone who listens can take something practical with them, uh, some some sort of knowledge or tidbit. Even if it's if it's just sharing experiences you've had in the woods and what you've noticed, it can it's all putting together pieces of the puzzle to become a successful hunter or fisherman. And you mentioned that you have a passion for mule deer hunting, so I thought maybe we could have a little conversation about mule deer. You've already answered a couple of questions I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask like. How'd you get started? What's your first deer story? And so you, you got Marked ahead of us off the there, list. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of curious like, where have you hunted? Where do you like to hunt? What do you look for in a spot when you're choosing where to hunt?
2: Yeah. So we grew up hunting the Ojiko National Forest, and there's several units that are covering that space. But we, my dad was, he always liked to, you know, get out there and walk. And before that, they would hunt on Honda, Honda 90s. So, those little trail bikes oh. and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know, and now with like, you know fire danger and road closures, you yep. can't do that as easily as you used to be able to. but um so it's pretty much on foot. Mm. Um, we like to just get out and walk and cover as many miles as where our bodies are willing to take us without trying to get lost so we can make our way back to camp. But also, my dad was big on what he called saddles. So it, just little little mounds. You get little bowls, we call them too, when you mm-hmm. get out on these off these deer trails or elk trails, and you know you're off of a an area where from the road you never see this stuff. And I always say if you don't do that, you're not gonna experience what you could. You may get lucky and get an animal from the road, and that certainly does happen. And there's guys out there beating the brush that are chasing animals to you sometimes. Yep, yep. But um, for me, I don't feel like an authentic hunter unless I'm out there actually putting the you know, boots to the ground yeah. and walking. And my, da- my dad, actually, when I had him and he talked about his moose hunt, um, he would killed this moose in Canada and the guide was going to get the pack horse and told him to stay and guard the meat because they were in bear and wolf country. Yep. And ra- And my dad has a lot of faith and he prays a lot. And he was like, you know, rather than getting scared, I'm going to go to sleep. And so he shares on our, (laughs) you know, that he takes, he used to go deep in somewhere and take a nap and just wait rather than getting bored or whatever, and just fall asleep. And then he goes, you wake up and you're a whole different place. And then you're on your way on that hike out and yeah. you're going to see things that you wouldn't have seen because you were too impatient to be yep. patient. Bumping around. So he was really noise. big on us finding a spot that he knew animals were likely to come through Yep. and to just just sit there and be patient. And one time in the Ochicos, we're sitting in one of those little saddles and we're laying down behind this log and it was me and my dad and my brother. And I see what well, looked like a tree coming over the hill and it was a giant five point bull elk. And we were deer hunting (laughs) and someone else had jumped this thing and his tongue was hanging out and he was out. He was gassed. It was hot. uh, 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 Yeah. And he'd been running all by himself. He comes in and lays down like 60 yards from us. Doesn't even know we're there. Wow. So dad's like, you know, learning experience for the kids. We're deer hunting, but he's like, let's. Let's see how close we can get to this guy before he jumps up. Yeah. So we slowly work our way and we get within about 30 yards from this thing and he pops back up and then runs up a little ways and lays down again because he was tired. He was too tired. And we were just pushing. It kind of felt bad later in life. Like, oh, we pushed (laughs) that poor guy and he just needed a break. Yeah. But (laughs) but it's, I've always found if you're out there getting after it, you're going to see stuff that you wouldn't see any other time. Like last season during bow season, uh, my brother and I had an Eastern Oregon bow tag, which we're used to rifle hunting and, you know, close. In that distance with the bow is yep. a lot more difficult, but there's yep. way less people out there. So, my we'd seen these two forking and horns. And I put my brother in on the bottom of this, um, and it was getting almost too dark to hunt. But I go, Hey, go in here, see what happens, you know. So, I watch him go in and I'm, I'm up ahead of him, and um, and I'm in the vehicle, so I'm not hunting, he's the only one hunting. And he pushes these two bucks. I watch them come out, rack heads with each other, Whoa. and run across the street. And then at that same time, The sky was changing and this flock of snow geese was flying over and they were the loudest things. I mean, they were so loud. It was like being on the freeway. (laughs) But it was just like those moments Uh and they're fleeting and they don't last that long. But when you get to experience it, you're just like, man, if I would have not put the time in or chose to go down this path. And those happen all the time out there. Yeah. You know, yeah. and yeah. so that's, I don't care if I'm successful. Yeah, I enjoy the meat. Actually, I was feeling really lousy last night, just didn't feel to myself. And I thawed some venison over the weekend that I hadn't ate uh, yet. And so I fried that up last night. Man, the first three bites and I felt like a million bucks. Nice. Yeah. And I'm like, so that, <laughs> that meat is high quality meat and we yeah. want to be successful, but those experiences are what I remember and what I write down in my journal and that I get excited about. Uh You know, I don't know if I even answered your question, but I talked for a while.
0: (laughs) What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned then spending time out there chasing mule deer?
2: I think being patient. And the one thing with mule deer, they'll always give you another shot. Really? So yeah, if you miss a mule deer, even if they're running from you, They will turn back and give you one more chance. Without you stopping them? They will look back. They always look back before they go over the hill. It's the most bizarre thing because I've chased them and pursued them, not even firing a shot, but they knew where I was and they were running. And they always give you that quick look back, and there's your shot to take a shot.
0: Really? Like they turn broadside and look right at you?
2: Well, it's not always broadside, maybe it's sure. angling away, but they'll give you that one quick, you know, yeah, yeah. hey, here's your last chance. Yeah, it's not um, like a
1: blacktail or boom boom boom. Oh, yeah, they're, they're gone. Yeah,
2: they're the ghosts and they're in the blackberries and you're yeah. like, "Where did they
0: go?" Well, blacktail will eventually circle back maybe 30 minutes later to see what you were if they didn't know you were a human, yeah. but they don't well often they don't do that stop back you're talking about. Yeah, this
2: is like bigger opening more open space over on the east side, uh-huh. you know. And so they They're usually, you can see them, but if they're a ways away and you're pushing them, they're going to keep moving, but they're always going to look to see if you're still pursuing them. And so if you can close the distance, you're going to get that potential shot when they do that look back. At least that's one thing that I've observed. The other thing is... And I've told this story on our podcast. You don't want to put the gun down too soon. So whenever we'd see does, the old adage, watch that doe. She might not be alone. She may have a buck. there's there's bucks, yeah. Yeah, and so my cousins and I were down this trail and we'd been hiking all day and we were tired. It was me and my two cousins and this doe's broadside, like 200 yards, hillside to hillside kind of thing in between thick cover on both sides. And you had about a 40 yard gap to take a shot. And anyway, all three of us have our scopes on this deer. And at the same time, all three (laughs) of us put our scopes down. It'd been like five minutes. She started moving and we're like, ah, she was alone that whole time. We wasted, you know, five minutes watching. It feels like an eternity when you're holding your gun up sometimes, but you know, we're watching her, watching her. Yeah, and then my, my cousins had sticks and I was freehand, but um, anyway, she finally starts to go, and we're like, oh, she was alone. And this big four-point, four-by-four, yeah, <laughs> puts his head down and blows through that space Whoa. like that, and none of us could get our guns yep. up. And we were all like, big buck, big buck, big buck, uh. and never saw him again, <laughs> you know? Fire. The sad thing, talking about other guys getting your bucks, is the next day, somebody was dragging that four-point out of that same oh, trail. Right. Yeah. So he wasn't that smart, and maybe that doe got him in trouble again. He but was
0: probably in the full rut then.
2: He shouldn't have been, but who knows? Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. No, typically on the muley season, you're hunting in October, like early October, late oh, September. Really? Yeah. Wow. So the rifle tag. And, and it's it's kind of, so it doesn't run congruent with
0: the rifle season, Like uh, the general
2: a, rifle? No, it doesn't last near as long. So the east oh, okay. side, it's like a two-week season typically. Really? Okay.
0: Yeah. I've never hunted Eastside before, so I'm real curious about that.
2: You know, that's how I grew up hunting, and just even the smell of juniper and the sagebrush and just getting over there and knowing like you get to know different areas and you know areas that hold deer. Like I can jump 150 does yeah. easily, Wow! you know, in certain areas that I just wow. know they're going to be there.
1: That was, that Eastern Oregon, you know, the Ochoa Coast, uh, Indian Butte, Round Mountain, That's that was my first Oregon hunt. We were walking this ridgeline, and I was probably like two maybe 300 yards in front of my cousin and he's yelling at me you know there's this little ravine below us he's yelling at me and i can't understand what he's saying so i come back over to him and he shoots well these other two guys had pushed this i don't know it was probably a three by three down the hill and you know my cousin starts shooting at it ends up (laughs) shooting it in the leg oh man moron But anyway, I remember being on a whole different level of exhaustion compared to hunting in Alaska. And the elevation there is crazy. It's pretty rocky. You can get into some thicker woods and stuff like that. And, you know, you you can see a lot of deer over there. But I was never successful in that in that unit but there's there's a lot of guys that are um but that youth hunt is is one of the the best ones you can do because then you might get some
2: rut time i mean hunting muleys in the rut something i've never done but yeah towards the end of blacktail season you do get some rut time and especially well, this and year this year oh, we're gonna get oh, full rut there's we're, gonna be some blacktail on the, the ground this year for sure <laughs> that's I, what do, that's, I keep
0: telling people <laughs> yeah
2: if you don't get a
0: blacktail this year you're doing something wrong you gotta yeah. go back to the drawing board because yeah but uh, everyone should actually not get the general rifle. I tag. wouldn't even bother yeah, it's, hunting. It's really,
2: not worth yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. So that, that is the, <laughs> the, the worst part for me on the east side. Is even the the unit that I hunt takes five years to draw the tag, and there's only I think seven or eight hundred tags given. I don't know what the exact number is, but it still feels like there's so many people, and that's why I've kind hmm. of gravitated towards the archery thing because. Mm-hmm when you're archery hunting over there you maybe see two three other guys and that's it wow and and we saw 18 different bucks last archery season i didn't take a shot at any of them because they were all 70 80 200 yards but you know i'm still relatively new in the archery space and so i've got once i hone that craft it'll be hard to want to but i also just the nostalgia of rifle hunting is so hard for me to get away from
0: yeah where you're hunting at it's it's forest land right there's lots of trees and stuff it's not it's not like open yeah, desert. Yeah, not,
2: not open desert where I antelope tone was. So it was yeah. spot and stock behind like sagebrush. And wow. you know, antelope see seven times better than humans. Really? And so <laughs> they have great vision, but they're also really curious. Yeah. So if sure. you're behind some bit of cover, they know you're there, mm-hmm. but they're curious. And so that gives you that opportunity with them. Weird. But if you have no okay. cover and you're out in the open, the antelope are gone. they're going to see you and they're gone. Yeah. Uh, With the mule deer, there's not that curiosity component, but it's just, we kind of know some of their patterns. Mm. And so like we know where we've historically found deer. And so it's hunting those. My cousins are also very proficient spot and stock hunters. So they love getting behind glass, sitting on big ravines, just looking until they find deer. And they'll find deer that I'm like, you know, we'll be there 35 minutes and I haven't seen a single one. And then they'll be like, got a buck right here. Oh, yeah. And then they'll have to guide me in because I just don't have. Yeah. yeah. I'm a pretty good spotter, but not to their level. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep.
0: So it's, it's lots of long distance looking, trying to get within range when you're in open territory. Yeah. It sounds like you're still bumping bucks by walking around. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: I mean, it seems like most of my successful trips, I've bumped the deer before I knew they were there. I mean, oh, generally, yeah. you know, just yeah. walking through to get to my spot, and then all of a sudden something jumps yep. up, you yep. know. Or those moments, I remember once, my brother won't love this story, but, you know, those <laughs> least prepared moments, he was using the restroom in the woods, and uh, these yep. two bucks popped up out of nowhere. But then I was couldn't find my brother, and they were like 500 hilltop to hilltop not oh, a yeah. shot with my 270 that I was going to probably take. Um, and so then I started worrying about him as I couldn't find him. So I'm yelling, yelling, and yelling. <laughs> and he finally pops up over this hill with his sleeves off of his shirt. Oh, and, no. you know, <laughs> and he's like, I was
1: going to the bathroom. Desperate times. yeah. <laughs> so, never
2: got to put a stock on those ones.
1: That was yeah.
0: funny. Nope. Well, that's cool. Yeah, mule deer hunting, something I've never even dipped my toes into. I, I'm just so obsessed with blacktail. That's like... All that I think about is blacktail
2: hunting. So, you know. Well, and I get that now, finally. You know, uh-huh. growing up, because my dad was a mule deer hunter, we yeah. always kind of looked down on the blacktail as a secondary prize. Like, really? Oh, we didn't get our tag. I guess we'll buy a general tag. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know? Okay. That's, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. I can see that. But we never really hunted it hard. Uh-huh. But my cousin, Dylan, who does a podcast with me, he has always grown up blacktail hunting. So, like, okay. he's kind of got me into some spots and showed me some things and I would argue that they are a harder deer to hunt than the muleys are. That's what know? most people say. Yeah, just because they disappear so fast. Your shooting opportunity is so much, yeah. I mean, you got to be on it yep. and yep. then they're gone and you may never see them. You probably won't ever see them again. Very yeah.
1: small windows.
0: Uh-huh. I know. I mean, two of my bucks were taken within 10 yards with a, with a rifle, you mm-hmm. know, so you just never know where they're going to be. And that's the thing about blacktail, which I don't know if it doesn't sound like it's like this with mule deer from hearing you, but a blacktail will lay there. If he thinks thinks you can't see him, you'll walk within 15 feet of him. Because they got so much cover. yeah, Yeah. He'll just let you walk past. And that's what they do from the time they're born. I've walked right past deer and then I get... 30 feet down the trail, and I hear <laughs> behind me because they just let me walk right past them.
2: Well, yeah, my buddy Joe hunts in tree stands during rifle season for blacktail. Oh, okay. And now he's an archery hunter, but he used to do this. And he'd sit in those tree stands and he'd watch guys move deer that they never even saw. Yeah. You know, yep. because they've got so much cover and some of that reprod and stuff. And it's like, yep. you know, it's so hard to get on a black. I've only ever taken two blacktail bucks, and I've taken five or six mule deer probably, uh-huh. you know.
0: Well, and as good as the blacktail are at that, the cougars are even better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hiding and sneaking around and not letting you know they're there.
2: Yeah, if you feel something watching you and your hair standing up on the back of your
0: neck, there's probably a cougar. Yep. I guess it's a good time to transition to the last conversation of the show. And this is something that we ask everyone. It's really a huge part of the vision of what this podcast is for, is to give hunters and other outdoorsmen the opportunity to share their spiritual connection to their life in the outdoors. So Sam, I'm curious for you, what's what's your spiritual connection to the outdoor lifestyle? What's, what's sort of your true motivation behind everything that you do out there?
2: Yeah, I mean, as a Christian, you know, I grew up, uh, my parents were Christians and they kind of brought us up in the church. That's good and bad because sometimes you take it for granted, mm-hmm. you know, so there's periods of my life where I wouldn't say I went away from God, but I wasn't pursuing him the way I should have. And what's yeah. amazing about God, is he will meet you at your where you're at no matter what yeah so all you got to do is surrender to him and you can be at a place where you feel like man I'm so far from God right now and you get on your knees and put your hands in the air and ask him to meet you where you're at and he will every single time he never leaves us or forsakes us it says in his word you know and so for me the natural world is the closest to the way I think things were supposed to be and you know as humans we've changed the landscape and we've altered the environment in a lot of different ways and animals are very and nature is very adaptive and has done an amazing job of still being as wild as it is and we're blessed in Oregon that we have so much you know public land that we can go explore And uh, for me, when I'm out there, just even the little things, you just see God in so many things. I used to work for the Forest Service in Colorado. And um, another time where I was was using the restroom and (laughs) a a porcupine came walking up right next to me. And I was just thinking, don't quill me. But it was still like a really cool experience to see him just kind of waddle in. And just there's so much beauty in nature and how it's all so interconnected that I feel... Kind of, and you've shared this before on the show. It's you can't get that connection to God for me unless I'm out there experiencing it. And even on my property, I only live on a little 10 acre piece, but. When I'm not out going hunting or going fishing or something, just walking in my pasture with my sheep and going and picking some blackberries, you know, I see the beauty in that. And I see the beauty in even the insects or the bees or like all the different little things. It's all so interconnected and interwoven that it, I look at it, it's like it's God's canvas and his paintbrush and he just painted all these beautiful things. And we get the privilege of getting to experience it. Yeah. You know, I always joke around with my kids and they always say, well, you're always talking about fishing or I should bring my fishing pole (laughs) to go fishing. You know, sometimes I just try not to do that to give them a break from it. But I'm like, you know, my vision of heaven, there's a steelhead stream in the backyard behind, you know (laughs) what I mean, behind the golden. Uh, streets or whatever so it's for me it's the only way i really and i know we talked about this too it's like that time to talk to god you have so much dedicated time where especially if you're hunting alone or you know you're in a small party where like i'm always talking to god yeah i'm asking him to bring me animals or bring me success or help me catch a fish and i know there's way more important things on God's calendar than that. Yep. But I yep. also know he could bless me with those things if he chose to, uh-huh. you know. So I always for me I'm very grateful that I have the opportunity to be out there in his creation and I just get yeah. to see so many things. Yeah. So and Jay like he said this on my podcast and yours it's all about Jesus, and the way uh-huh. He says that. Ever since He said that to me, it just resonates so much with me mm-hmm. in this time of uncertainty. And we have so many political things, and we have all this pressure and, you know, inflationary pressure on all of us, and we're all struggling, you know, maybe at different degrees with different elements of that. And our pastor, Pastor Rob, from Calvary, this last Sunday, he was like, you know, you have to cast your concerns on to Jesus. And he goes, I feel like some of you don't really understand what that means. And so you were casting a net in the old days in that, you Mm. know, biblical sense. And so you have to actively throw those concerns and let them go. Because all of us carry so much. And when I'm out in the woods, I can let stuff go. Yeah. And I don't do a good job of that in my daily life. Mm. You know, you were talking
0: about seeing God in, in everything and seeing God, it's easiest to see God in nature. And it reminded me of, there's this book by a monk. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. His name is Brother Lawrence. You ever heard of that one? I
2: have not, Okay, I need to look it up. It sounds it, like.
0: Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a short read, but it's, you know, old language. But anyway, there's a the, kind of the whole epiphany that the book is written on is he worked in the kitchen, and he goes outside, and he just saw a tree. And the, it was the wintertime. The tree had no leaves. It was just all the gnarly branches sticking around. Hmm. And then he was greatly moved and dropped down to his knees and began worshiping God. He saw the tree, the the intricate branches and all the fine details of it. And then he thought about the transformation that tree goes through every year yeah. where it, it miraculously grows leaves and then the leaves collect nutrients from the sun and then they shrivel up and fall off every year. So hearing you say that brought, brought that to mind to me, yeah. you know, that is how... the the practice of the presence of God and seeing Him and everything. And it's so easy to see Him in nature.
2: Oh, it's unbelievable. When you get down to the microscopic level on things and you look at the intricacies of any kind of living organism, whether it be plant or animal or whatever, how amazingly designed and detailed it is. So there's a lot of science going against the Big Bang Theory, a lot of science for creation that they're starting to be able to back some things up and show some things. And because... I just can't imagine believing that way. With how detailed it is, there's just no way this was just an accident, Mm -hmm. you know, that we're just here and there's no plan. And I mean, we can see it definitely in humans too. I mean, we're part of that and we've done a lot to mess it up. Uh mm -hmm. But he loves us anyway. Yeah. And he's there for us in spite of our own things that we've brought on ourselves. Yeah.
0: Well, and thinking about creation too, you kind of have to believe in. Something infinite, no matter what. Mm -hmm. You either believe in an infinite divine being with infinite power to create, or you believe in infinite chance and coincidence because it would take an unlimited amount of coincidence for everything to exist you know you you kind of have to choose infinity exists in some way is it infinite power god or is it infinite coincidence chance that all this happened
2: well even the solar eclipse that we all got to witness a few years back here in oregon and like the odds of that happening happening scientifically for that to occur was crazy it's just like it shouldn't happen And God says in his word, you know, he's gonna give us signs and wonders, you know? Mm. And so he can control anything he wants to control. He made it all. And if he wants to show you something, I've seen things. I remember one night we were all in deer camp and we looked, we were all, you know, just looking at the stars and there was this meteor that we thought it was going to land on us. I'm telling you, the sky lit up and it was just the brightest thing I've ever seen falling out of the sky and I'll never forget it. And me and my uncles and my cousins, we still talk, remember that time that that, you know, (laughs) and I mean, it's just, you see things in the natural world when you stop and take the time. We're all so busy and pulled in so many directions and there's so many things designed to Distract us, you know, take the time to really just get out there. It's cliche, but you know, stop and smell the roses, you know, and just Uh witness some of this creation. To me, if you really took the time to explore that, it would be hard not to believe in God.
1: Well, and I've heard that here recently. Somebody was calling it a a primal reset, going out and then looking at nature, and they they saw all the spiritualness behind it and stuff, but they were calling it a whatever term they used primal primal reset. Yeah. And you know, I was like, oh that sounds kinda cool. But then, where's God and all that, you know? Mm.
0: I know, uh, like for someone like me, like us, who's who's a believer, mm-hmm. you know, and we go through our life, we're able to see God. We have these radars. We're perceptive and open to seeing God in things. But then, even the people who I know that aren't believers, people who are atheist or they're they're Buddhist or something like that, like for Buddhism, it's like a general spirituality. They don't, at least the Buddhists I've talked to, don't believe in like a divine god but they believe in like a transcendence they still look at nature and their life in the outdoors and see some sort of a spiritual reality and connection you know and that's why like for us as believers we're able to say well we know god we have a relationship with god it's god but even someone who doesn't believe in god there's something deeper there that's It gets their attention
2: well and there's a reverence i think like i know there's some deer in japan and they don't interesting they don't hunt them because of some spiritual connection and i don't know if it's a reincarnation belief or what it is but it's they kind of are shocked that we hunt our animals because you know there's this spiritual reverence for for life yeah and i i think that you know for me it's like you never know what any given day is gonna bring Mm -hmm. And like always being having an attitude of gratitude, you know, where it's just like, I'm so grateful that I get to experience these things and go out there and see this. And who knows how long we'll get to do these things. I mean, think of how much it's changed just over the last probably three decades. -hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Sam. We've covered a
2: lot in our conversation. We kind of went all over the place. It's fun. (laughs) I I have one more God story if you want me to share when it comes to the outdoors and God. So I worked for the and I I forgot it for a minute and then it came back to me. So I uh, (laughs) I worked for the Forest Service in Colorado, like I mentioned. And me and my uh, coworker, we were lost, and we were in this Lost Lake wilderness. And we're at like seven thousand foot elevation. It's getting dark. I can't find her, I'm stressed out, and we ha- I had the radio, so I could communicate with the home base, the force Service, and she didn't. And I was really concerned for her because I knew they could find me. I could be like, hey, I'm here, you know, figure it out. There was pre-GPS coordinates and things like that, but um, I was in my early 20s, and uh, I started walking, and I walked for several miles, and then I turned around, and I, and I went back the other direction, and then i sat down and i said i better pray and i better talk to god about this and see what's going on and i prayed and i said hey god i want to get back to anna i want to get back to the main trail we need to get off the mountain before it gets dark and i prayed to god and i said give me a, a way to get back and, he, and i felt not an audible voice but that still small voice say you're going the right direction and you turned around so i i went back the way i had had gone so i'd already gone maybe two three miles back again. So then I wow. backtracked and all the, so these are domestic cattle. All the domestic cows had already had their babies and it was a free range situation. So they're all out there. Yeah, And I was starting to lose hope again. And I was like, going, oh man, I've been walking forever. I'm not going to find the main trail. I'm really worried about Anna. And this black Angus cow that was pregnant with twins. I mean, she was huge. She's in front of me on the trail waddling. Huh. And to me to this day i still think she was an angel because i start following her and i go okay bossy take me home this is my yeah. sign you know and i follow her to the main trail and she disappears and i cannot see her anywhere i'm looking out, and it was wide wow. open fields and then at that moment my co-worker anna comes walking out of the woods and we both are just tears in our eyes so happy to see each other hugging each other wow. we've been each lost for several hours looking yeah. for one another yeah and here we are on the main trail headed towards our vehicles we still had a five mile hike out probably Uh but we were safe yeah and we you know and it was just a miracle and it was that's amazing yeah and it was just god showing up when he didn't have to i'd put myself in that situation you Uh know but he guided me back to where i needed to be yeah so wow that's a great
0: story. I love that. That's a perfect way to end it out. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's a really yeah. cool
2: experience. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: if, if people want to find you, you've got the Outdoor Adventures Podcast. How can fe- people find you on social media?
2: Yeah. So Outdoor Adventures Podcast, we have um, an email address to uh, the... OAP crew at gmail.com is the one that if people have questions or show ideas or whatever and we do have an Instagram and a Facebook and we're out there on all the places you can find podcasts you know Spotify and uh, iTunes and we just got on YouTube but it's cool. we're not doing video it's just the audio I, I so, do have beef with you uh, what did I do I use pocket
0: casts I've always been a stitcher guy. Forever, but Stitcher for anyone who doesn't know just got shut down alright oh. because uh, I think it's SiriusXM XM owned it and then they decided to can it because they're doing something new anyway I can't find you on Pocket Casts. so well
2: whatever server I use you pick all the different ones you want uh-huh. and then they automatically kind of upload it to yep. each one of those I'll yep. have to look and see i will pod- have to fix that problem I'll have, have problem to see a podcast a
1: Pocket Cast
2: Pocket Cast okay I'll see, I'll see that one down too <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. thank you very much for coming out, and uh, we really appreciate your time. It was great getting to know you better. We look forward to spending more time with you at Shop Talk and yep. just hanging yep. out. Yes, Doing and you're going to come fish. Area. You're yep. going to come fish the lake with me because I, I know you
2: guys are big bass guys, and you can probably show me some things. Come yeah. Very well, well, well. good. I squeaked by. But. <laughs> well,
1: and we need to get out and sling some arrows too. Yeah. Well, not me anyway. My I got a bad shoulder, but um, – Yeah, I'd be more than happy to watch you guys and make fun of (laughs) you (laughs) two. Sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks guys. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Yeah.